and salutations, good people. This is Chris Abalo's Podcast Experiment, and I, to no one's surprise, am Chris Abalo. Welcome to episode four of the show. That's right, four already. It's kind of weird, considering that I've done now four episodes of my own show, and the show I've been doing for years with my friends, the only podcast that matters, is coming up on 140 episodes. It's crazy to think that this is... That has been going on for so long and that this is such a a fledgling show, a baby podcast, if there is such a thing. And speaking of which, make sure to check out The Only Podcast That Matters by subscribing on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher, Beyond Pod, Blackberry Podcasts, all your favorite podcasting apps, as well as the home at theonlypodcast.com. And I was just on a very funny episode of the show two weeks ago, a show called KingCast, which at the suggestion of one of our fans... We talked about what we'd change about the world if we were king of the world, which was mostly filled with kind of ludicrous mandates, but it it was a good time. It was just a really fun flight of whimsy to take. So make sure you check out The Only Podcast That Matters every single Friday. And let me take a second to say thank you because I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from this podcast so far. People are digging the podcast experiment. I've got a lot of supportive and encouraging emails, text messages, and various other feedback formats. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for checking out the show. Subscribe on iTunes. Like the show on Facebook. In case you're wondering how to spell the name, it's A-B-A-L-L-O. Follow the show on Twitter at Cape Pod. And check out the home at chrisaballo.com. All right. So to follow up on what I talked about in the last episode, since I mentioned summer movies, and because Iron Man 3 is about to make a billion dollars already, I went and saw Iron Man 3, actually on opening day, and I'll be very brief about it. I loved it. I loved the first Iron Man. The second one I wasn't particularly into. I just thought it was kind of weak. And then, obviously, loved Tony Stark and Iron Man and the Avengers. And this was a great follow-up and continuation of the Tony Stark and Iron Man saga. Obviously, Robert Downey Jr. is hysterical and charismatic and everything you could hope for in this character of Tony Stark that we've all come to love. And I absolutely adore Shane Black because aside from writing the first two Lethal Weapon movies and then creating that franchise, which is probably my favorite film series of all time, I love all those other movies too. The Last Boy Scout, Long Kiss Goodnight, Last Action Hero. I just love that over-the-top action style with a lot of clever dialogue. And I really loved, the actually, the first movie he did with Robert Downey Jr. from 2005, a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which Shane Black wrote and directed. And it stars Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. And it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a noir kind of detective story. It's... Uh, if you look at it this way, if you like, let's say a, a buddy movie, because in a way it kind of is, and you like the comedic sensibility of the Lethal Weapon movies, then you should check out Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And everyone has fallen in love with Robert Downey Jr. all over again in the last five years. This is before that, so check out Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's uh, the first collaboration between the fine folks who gave us Iron Man 3. But I love the movie. I thought the 3D was subtle enough where I didn't necessarily need to see the movie in 3D. It didn't really pop out. But the movie itself exceeded my expectations. I was really looking forward to it, and it delivered. It was definitely worth every dollar. 
The second thing involves another summer movie that I talked about in the last episode, The Heat, the Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy, buddy cop movie, funnily enough. And uh, there's actually, there was something going on on Twitter last week that the Twitter handle at The Heat Movie was spreading around because they were having early screenings in proximity to colleges. And they put up a tweet about a screening near UCLA, and you just had to tweet them and add the hashtag tweet for the heat. And if you did that, they would send you a link to check out screenings in your area. So I'm close enough to UCLA being in Los Angeles. So I thought, oh, I can go see this movie a month and a half before it comes out. And for free, I'm in. So I actually, I I get the tweet and check the link at six o'clock and find out that the showing is at 7.30 that night. So I immediately just grabbed my wallet, keys, sunglasses, got in the car and drove over to the Bruin, which is over in Westwood. And the movie was amazing. Seriously, it was hysterical. Everything about it. You know what? Everything about it was amazing. I don't even need to go into details. I literally hurt from laughing after watching this movie. It was about two hours. And I seriously could not stop laughing. And the audience was there. I don't know if everybody was there from the Twitter campaign or not. But honestly, the audience was enjoying the movie. You can tell when you go see something whether or not people are enjoying it. People were genuinely enjoying it and laughing at it and emoting at all the right parts. So the the audience definitely dug it. So everybody go see The Heat. (laughs) Everybody's already seeing Iron Man 3. But The Heat comes out at the end of June. So everybody should go see that because it was amazing. Melissa McCarthy was hilarious. Sandra Bullock is Sandra Bullock, which is everything that is perfect and right in the world. So go see The Heat when that comes out. All right. Speaking of movies, have you seen movies such as The Negotiator, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, Adam's Family Values, Wag the Dog, or Space Cowboys? Do you watch TV shows like Star Trek The Next Generation, Married with Children, Mad Men, The Office, Desperate Housewives, or Weeds? Well, in that case, you probably know today's guest. If you don't know him by name, you've seen him in things. He's been doing television and film acting for about 30 years now, and he's been very, very good to me over the last nine months or so specifically since I've been back living in Los Angeles. His name is Rick Scarry, and not to be confused with the children's author Richard Scarry. This guy is a working actor who has done it all and has, <laughs> as much as I kid him, as you'll hear shortly about maybe some light typecasting for certain characters, he's been able to maintain an acting career for nearly three decades. And I thought it'd be fascinating to sit down and talk to him about his certainly long history in TV, film, radio before that, and all the different people who he's met and come across and hear some really cool stories. You guys are going to hear a lot of cool stuff from Rick because he's been doing this for a long time. He's been around and within show business for years. And I'm very happy he was good enough to give his time to sit down and yak with me about it. I should note, however, that about 10 minutes into our chat, if you hear some background noise, kind of like white noise, it's because the lawn care group was here taking care of the landscaping and mowing the lawns and using the weed whacker and all that other stuff. And there was no getting around it. I would have had us record at a different time had I known that those guys were going to be here working in the complex. But uh, alas, they were here. But it shouldn't be too distracting. Just if you hear any noise in the background, that's what it is. And there was one minor technological hiccup during the show, which I'm not going to tell you what story Rick was telling. But there's a moment where 
a few words get cut off. Naturally, it had to be during, <laughs> let's say, the punchline to one of his stories about working on a TV show. So there are a few words missing. So I'm just going to give you the whole sentence now, and I'm not going to give you the context. But you'll know it when you hear it, when he tells the story. But the sentence that's obstructed is, do you mind if I take off this dreaded spacesuit? You'll probably see that line coming when he starts off a particular story, but since the recording software had some kind of hiccup and end up skipping a couple of words for some reason, there's the line. Do you mind if I take off this dreaded spacesuit? How many times have you heard that this week? All right, enough setup. Let's get down to it, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Rick Scarry. Where? Where is he? I don't see him anyplace. Oh, there he is. Well, they, they can't see him either. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sitting down today, sure. Rick. Much I appreciated. don't get to sit down very often, so this, <laughs> is, this is good. All right. So let's start where it's best at the beginning. Where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Funniest thing, I don't remember the beginning, but they tell me <laughs> I was born in a small Ohio town where you had two choices in life, to either be a farmer or work in a factory. Uh, I did a little bit of each of those things for a while and decided mm-hmm. very early on that was really not uh, what I wanted to do with my life, mm. uh, you know. But uh, it's an interesting little town. We had many famous people come from it who had the same idea to get, get out. Mm-hmm. The very first one was a multiple Oscar winner named Vincente Minnelli. Liza Minnelli's father and oh, uh, okay. husband of Judy Garland, who directed so many great musicals for MGM, American in Paris and Gigi and all of those things. And, and we always knew him as little Vinnie Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> but he came to Hollywood, changed his name to Vincente, you know, make it very Italian, of course. Vincente Minnelli. And uh, went on to fame and fortune. And we've had many others, actors, writers, Producers, there's something in the water in this little town. Seems yeah. to be, yeah. And so, you at what point did, it re- as they say, as to use a well-worn term, did the, did the bug bite you? Was it always obviously experience will certainly lead you to want to do something else than yeah? Whatever I was else is always doing. interested in in show busy kind of things. I was a great radio fan, and we were very fortunate in Central Ohio, which doesn't happen in many parts of the country, where you can listen to. The radio in New York, Boston, Chicago, Nashville, Indianapolis, Philadelphia, and hear it like it's local. Because Mm -hmm. there's something about that flat land in the middle where everything comes into it. All the feeds just converge. The feeds come in. And so you could hear people doing different things, different music, different things in other parts of the country, which most people weren't uh, attuned to. And so a bunch of us were always into the songs and the radio and the music and, and stuff. And a good friend of mine was a, was a second-rate magician. <laughs> and um, after high school, when I was kind of floundering and wondering what to do, he said, go with me to the Seattle World's Fair in Seattle, Washington, and be a magician. And I said, I don't know about a magician. I don't. He said, I'll teach you everything you need to know. And we went to Seattle, and I worked at Merlin's House of Magic at the Seattle World's Fair, doing second-rate uh, card tricks. And basically, it was a scam to sell people stuff. You got them in with magic tricks, and then the, you, you sold them stuff. And come in and buy. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah it was, a, it was a, what they used gang. to call a ballyhoo. And <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, they decided to make this movie at the Seattle World's Fair. 
with this little-known actor named Elvis Presley. And it was called It Happened at the World's Fair. Mm. And uh, I got a little part in it. Really? They were looking for anybody that could walk, talk, and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I got to actually sit on steps and talk to Elvis Presley. Wow. And shoot the breeze between takes. And uh, it was a magical time. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool being in show business. I got to figure out how to do this. Yeah. And that all kind of went by the wayside. The fair was over. I ended up back in Ohio. And I said, well, at least I'm going to do something. I'm going to go on the radio. So I started working at this little radio station where I lived, where they turned the power off at five o'clock at night and you have to go read the transmitter readings pushing the cows out of the way mm -hmm. <laughs> from the transmitter site and and read the meters and then i ended up doing that and and i had delusions of grandeur and then the army took me i ended up with the greatest job in the world i was with armed forces radio and television service oh, they cool. stationed me in a castle an 800 year old castle on the banks of the Main River in Germany, where I did radio and television shows. Oh, man. We had great stars visiting us all the time. We were, I saw, found an old video clip the other night of an uh, early rock band called the Yardbirds. Oh, yeah. In it in those days was this little-known guy named Jimmy Page and <laughs> Jeff Beck and all these guys. Were Never the happened yard. to those guys. No, I don't know whatever happened to them. They were the Yardbirds, and they would, we would do shows with these guys for Army bases and, and stuff like that. Oh, and, wow. uh, and then I just got into it, and when I got out of the Army, came to L.A., which was foolhardy because... <laughs> Or, you know, they, they want some farmer from Ohio, but I showed up, got a little job working north Piece of Piece of hay LA. in your mouth and yeah. stars in your eyes. Started doing radio in little north of L.A. in Ventura. Worked my way into Los Angeles. Had 20-year, very successful career on the radio in Los Angeles. And all this time, studying acting, I was going to uh, night school, as a matter of fact, and got an actual degree in, in uh, cinema production, uh, film production, more than drama. And I'd stayed with radio for a long time. Then one day I said, oh, time to see if I can really do this or not. Mm -hmm. And I jumped off that cliff. And the first couple of years were really bad. And then I started working, not big jobs, but working constantly and constantly. And um, happy to say I'm still doing it. Yeah, you know? definitely. And that was 1988. Yeah, 88 was when I left radio and jumped off the cliff. Man, yeah, I mean, as of now, and if and listeners, if you go to, obviously, IMDb, and you check out Rick's page, I mean, almost 100 credits listed, and that yes, probably doesn't and, include and everything. It doesn't include everything. IMDb, I've discovered, is like 90% right, but boy, they got some real stinkeroo information on there. Oh, yeah? That's just not <laughs> true about people that I know and stuff. They, they don't verify their facts very well. So you can, ah, it's like any you. website... You kind of believe it, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got over 150 TV shows now, 22 features, got hundreds of commercials, voiceovers, voice characters, um, that sort of thing. You, so know? you were telling me right now you're, you're in a Taco Bell ad campaign, yeah. which I haven't seen. Well, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I usually do voices on commercials more than on camera, but they hired me to be in this as this surly looking dad and i haven't seen it myself but everybody <laughs> in the world has seen it which usually means that i'm going to be getting a nice paycheck real soon cool um people from all over the united states have sent me notes and emails saying i saw your commercial really? last night so 
it's definitely out there. It's for that new Taco Bell tie-in with Doritos. Doritos oh, yeah, yeah. The Doritos. Their, their shells now so that you have a Doritos shell with right, the Taco right. Bell. It, you know, it's that, that stuff. I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah. I, have it, I was trying to look up because like, there is for every brand. I think brand. you can see it on YouTube. See, I looked I it think. up. And I couldn't. I actually uh, found it because I wanted to see what it looked like. Did you? I okay, did find see, it on YouTube. It. Yeah, I did. Unless, I was looking on their channel because I very rarely watch TV when it's yeah, broadcast, yeah. so I see so few commercials. Yeah. But I did look it up, and I didn't. Yeah, I found it. I found it. took me. me a while, but I found it. You're just, you're just the curmudgeon dad. Yeah. Sitting there. You sent me a screen cap, and you're just kind of yeah. sitting with a disapproving look on yeah, your face. Yeah, a disapproving <laughs> look on my face. Doritos yeah. are for I'm chips. the first face you see is why everybody notices it, I think. It, I'm the very first frame as me. Oh, okay. You know, so it, when, if, if that's the first spot out of something somebody's watching, they're not going to miss it because there I am. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> it's, you know what? It's a nice departure from, yeah. and it was, I actually, scrolling through your IMDb, there's such a, a huge chunk, particularly in television, yeah. where you've played priest, minister, <laughs> things Doctors, like that. Lawyers, Do- yeah, exactly. Judges, um, yeah, I never get to be lawyers. an axe murderer, and I've always wanted to be an axe murderer. <laughs> I guess there's still time. Oh, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, if you got a part for an axe murderer. That's, yeah, I'm, if you, you need know, an axe murderer. i free. Who if li- I actually get to murder somebody. Yeah. That's, <laughs> on camera. Yes, we, we, uh-huh. we, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's funny? My mother watches a lot of... The Hallmark Channel movies, oh, the yes, Lifetime movies. Yes, so when yes. I talk to her, and she's pretty much the target demographic. She likes oh, yes. a, a story that's you could see the end coming from the end of the opening credits. I know, and you know, you know, those kind of movies where you see the man and the woman standing back to back in the poster, and just like not this one, but oh, you, yes, you know yes. that they're going to end done up together. Six Hallmark movies, <laughs> they they like me. I'm very wholesome. <laughs> she call it, She says it all the time when I'm yeah. on the phone. Oh, I saw Rick in a movie. He's, that's so wholesome. he's played a minister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is he really that way? No, no, <laughs> no. That's that's why it's called acting, mom. Yes, uh-huh. but it's funny that uh, they. I don't know if you, I. I guess you wouldn't call it typecasting, but there's definitely a look everybody thinks of that kind well, of in, in mature the, authority figure. I hope yeah, that sounds. Yeah, I hope that's yeah, treading lightly enough. And, and and most actors takes them a long time to come to the realization that you are in fact a captive to your physical being. Oh, because, definitely. Because every actor alive thinks they can do anything. Mm. Guess what? You can't. <laughs> Not because you can't play it. It's because you don't look like it. Of course. And only the biggest stars will get transformations with wigs and heavy makeup. They would never do that for a, a, a minor player or even a co-star player. It's just unheard of. You must look like the part you're being hired for. Right. That simple. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Hence the judges and the yeah. the ministers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all that stuff and lawyers. And which... I'm, I'm, I look like one of those guys, so that's the part you normally get. I played a couple of bad guys in my life, but you weren't supposed to know he was a bad guy, so that's the idea. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. See, the axe murderer, that's why it'd be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a judge <laughs> who's taking justice into his own hands. <laughs> it's one of those trailers you see, and then yes, uh-huh. uh, Liam Neeson's tracking him down. That's it. So TV, you've done obviously a ton of over the years, which, I mean, Married with Children, you were on the Drew Carey Show, and you actually have quite a bit of uh, geek credentials as well, in as much as you've done, you've been in Star Trek The Next Generation, Babylon 5, Heroes, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, uh uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely true, and Heroes was a strange one, because I don't think anybody saw that 
as being a success when we first... I was in the very first episode shot after it sold, and it was just another job, you mm-hmm. know? And then all of a sudden, I was so fortunate, because I just had a very small part in, in, in that first episode as a bartender. But what I didn't know when we were shooting it is that it had a, a crucial story element happening, and they lifted that scene and reused it in seven or eight other episodes. Really? And I had to be paid the full rate for all of those episodes. So it ended up being this incredible cash cow. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it's there. And every yeah. one of them is considered a full-blown episode for me. And I get paid for all of them. I think it's, I think it's eight that they used that scene mm-hmm. in as a flashback. That and, was and that very, was huge. That fir- the first season of that show yes, was massive. It I mean, was. It, uh-huh. it, it dipped a little bit because the following year was the writer's strike. Yeah, but yeah. that first year was you couldn't escape Heroes. You couldn't and it's, escape it's one of those it. shows everyone was, was talking about. I was very happy about. for that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. How yep. much of the time does it come? I mean, obviously, I, I know yeah. you still go for auditioning and all that. Does it happen often or not at all when someone will say, oh, that guy. Let's get him in for this based oh, yes. on something else you've done. Oh, no, I get, I get uh, direct offers, like the, all the Hallmark movies. They just call me up and say, do you want to play this part? Mm-hmm. I don't have to audition for those. There's a lot of the stuff I don't have to audition for anymore. If the directors and the writers and the producers already know you, you do get to the point where you don't have to go out and, and tap dance for them anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. it was funny, because I do listen to and watch Kevin Pollock's chat show mm-hmm. quite a bit. Even he, I mean, he's been in tons of major movies. Oh, yes. And is very recognizable. Even if you don't know his name, if you saw him oh, yes. by his face, it's, oh, I know that guy. Oh, he yeah, was, you yeah. Know. But even he still goes out for auditions because oh, he's I, referenced it and, in shows. And because if they don't know you, then you still have to do that. And I know that I've been sitting in waiting rooms with people who are, in my mind, famous, trying to get the same job I'm trying to get. I was just the other day, I was sitting in the waiting room with John O'Hurley, who was Mr. Peterman on Seinfeld all right. those years with his gray hair. He plays those sarcastic guys. Mm-hmm. He's sitting next to me, and I'm thinking, boy, if nobody knows who that is by now, I mean, it's like, you know, but we're all there for the same job. <laughs> That's what's wow. amazing about it. I've seen major celebrities sitting, waiting to go into audition. And you didn't see that 20 years ago. Now you do. Is it for television more so? Mostly for television. It seems yeah. a lot of people are going more towards because television. Because the producers but... and directors are all 12 years old, and they don't know who <laughs> anybody is. They really, truly really don't know. No, well, it's, it's a different know. environment now. Yeah. Actually, there was a thing. Yeah. Danny Boyle said in, in a recent interview, because especially his last couple films have been more, let's say, adult dramas. Mm-hmm. And I forgot who, who said it a few years ago. It wasn't him, but saying that if Kramer versus Kramer was made today... It would be a TV movie. It wouldn't oh, be the, the and it would be with, uh, It wouldn't be the cinema classic. It would be that with it is. Uh, some Ashton Kutcher. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> what it would be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would, yeah. It would end up look. Yeah. If anything, it would look like a dopey well, romantic one of comedy. The legendary actors is Hal Holbrook, who oh, yeah. got an Oscar just a couple of years ago, and was just in Lincoln as well. Yeah, actually. and is been around as long as you know, well before me, and 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 an incredibly gifted talent. And I was talking to him couple of years ago and about this very thing he has to go audition and he said there's two ways you can look at it he said you can be offended by it or you can laugh at it 
Mm-hmm. He said, I went into the, he said, I just went into this room of everybody in the room was like 20 years old. And they, and, and one of them pipes up and goes, well, Hal, what would we know you from? <laughs> wow. <laughs> he says, and that's when you either walk out mm-hmm. or you, you go with it. You know, it's like, um, he says, I always choose just to go with it because they don't know. They of course. Don't, they don't know. He see. couldn't even pull Fletch Lives out of oh, his back pocket no. because no one will have seen that either. No, nobody knows anything, you know, and it's just... It's an amazing thing about what they... In the old days, I think casting people and directors and producers knew every actor and what they had done. Today, they don't. They don't have a clue. It was more, I think... I mean, granted, as, yeah. as an outsider, but yeah. with, with everything changing technologically over the last 10 years, let's say, yeah. since the internet has really started to take shape, which might even be a liberal use of that term, yeah. but it seems that... Now there are so many more people, I guess, going for everything, and that yes. you, it's. I think it's harder to get established for anyone who's in there, oh, but also the much the harder. pool is much flooded. Like it's if it's a pyramid, the base of the pyramid is much wider than it I was. Would, I wouldn't want to be doing it today, starting today. I, yeah, I, I think I'd give up. Yeah, it's because yeah. there's no there's no direct route to where you begin. No, there is none. I mean, you can't. There, I mean, there are people who are going to say. Oh, it's art. You're not supposed to. And there's there's that side of it. And and you know what? If you want to make movies or TV shows oh, on art. YouTube and not earn a dollar from it, that's fine. If you want to be an artist, that's okay. But you're gonna to to do something else to pay your bills. Well, you mentioned. But the it word, is a business. You mentioned the word art, and I remember years ago talking to some of the people will probably never heard of the great show Columbo with Peter Falk. Oh, great show! And um, most shows of that ilk took a certain number of days to shoot, nine or ten. Peter always had two or three more days than anybody else because he refused to hurry. And uh, makes his, sense. And his philosophy was give them quality whether they want it or not. <laughs> you know, and, that, hey. and he had a sign that said there was a picture of him as Columbo and a picture of him doing some incredible thing on Broadway or something. And one of them under the Broadway one, it said art. Under the Colombo picture, it said commerce. That's perfect. And see, and so you have to know the difference between the art and the commerce. Yeah, because are, they're two different things. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and and I feel like sometimes people yeah. get very high and mighty about it. Yeah, and, they and do. even it's the same thing when it comes to to musicians oh, you know, having course. having yeah. played music for years. I know a, a great country songwriter and performer, the fabulous Chris Wall from Austin, Texas, and and Chris has been. A rebel and working with Jerry Jeff Walker and the, and the you know the, the nasty boys of country music and he wrote a song that became a monster monster hit and everybody accused him of being a sellout and a, and, and it's done by every country bar band in the world <laughs> called Trashy Women I love my women a little on the trashy side uh-huh. <laughs> and, and every well it doesn't bar, get much more commercial than that <laughs> and the guy's gotten a lot of money from it. And all of his friends, you're a sellout, Chris. And until the first checks came, he was ready to think he was. And then he said, well, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> uh, you know, this is my retirement fund. Now, right. Yeah. Know? Well, I don't understand how it becomes somehow... Yeah. Some, there's some kind of stigma attached I to know. making your living doing something creative. Exactly it's so right. weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I was actually get, getting toward earlier with uh, what Danny Boyle said, just because I think it, it relates pretty much sure. directly to, to your recent experience... He said that since the 
particularly these days, the superhero movies prevalent. Oh, yes. He said that all the best writers are going to television, which is w- one of the reasons television has stepped up its game so it much as far as episodic tremendously. dramas yeah. and all that. And, I mean, you've, you've done a bunch of them. You've, you've done Weeds and yeah. Mad Men. Yeah. And so many of these shows. Do you, do you think that's kind of how it's gone? Where oh, there's yeah, a certain I think crop so. of best, writers that are on shows TV? Are not, the best shows are buried on the cable stations, that's for sure. Show that I think is one of the greatest on TV is Justified over at FX. I haven't seen that yet. I think this is a show's a masterpiece. Really, and it's uh, Elmore Leonard, so I do think I should check yes, it out for that it's, reason. It's a masterpiece, and in fact, their second season will stand as one of the greatest seasons of television I've ever seen in my life. Really, um, it's just it was so profoundly done. Um, Thank God they shoot it here in L.A. (laughs) Even though it takes place in the hollows of Kentucky, it's uh, shot in Santa Clarita, just north of Los Angeles, which kind of looks like Kentucky. So it works out really good. Plains area. Yeah, yeah. And um, the outer Los Angeles area. It's just so good. And and Mad Men and and, um, God, so many other shows. I, I enjoyed working on Weeds. In fact, I got Mad Men because of Weeds. Um, I was a semi-regular Crooked City Councilman on Weeds in the beginning days with Kevin Nealon. And, yeah, you, uh, had a, you had a several episodes yeah, arc. Yeah, I was a, a crooked, me, crooked, believe it or not, yeah. a city councilman. <laughs> and um, there we, had a, we had a staff director, Paul Feig, who was a, was a stand-up comic and then became a director. And Paul was doing a lot of Weeds, and then he went over to do Mad Men, and so he took me over there with him to do some of that. He had a big hit last year that everybody liked called Bridesmaids. It was it did okay. Yeah, it was lightly successful. Yeah, it was, yeah it was, you know. I hear he's got another movie coming out yeah, soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Paul's a great guy. And uh, and that's what you hope for in this business is you you make relationships too. Right. You know, and because he was going over to do Mad Men and he said to me, "You know, there's a part in this boy, you I'm going to have you come over and meet uh, the guys at at Mad Men." And I did, and I got the job and it was terrific, you know. Um and so when you know people, I mean, it's not like who you know, but it is who you know. And Because if you did a job that they liked and they remember you, when, it, when, they're, when they're envisioning actors in their minds, you're very likely to pop in there. And they'll go, oh, you know, get, you know go get this guy that I right. like so much. We need and an ornery neighbor. We need the ornery <laughs> neighbor. Let's go get him. You know, and, and let's hope someone sees that from yes. the, the justified camp That's and exactly says we need right. an axe murderer. Well, see, they, the Justified is, is kind of a hillbilly show in that it's, it's rural Kentucky. And, again, you're kind of damned by your, your demeanor. I yeah. can do that, but it's really hard to convince them I can. I know all those people very well, the casting people at Justified, and I would, uh, you know... I've been doing everything I can to make them think I can be one of them. <laughs> one of them hillbillies from Kentucky drinking the moonshine. There's one of the items in your in your reel where you're playing a kind of a crazed preacher, a oh, pray yeah. the gay way kind of preacher. Yeah, that was Malcolm in the Middle. Just, that is was, that what that was? That's Malcolm okay. in the Middle. I converted uh, gays to straight. Right. And I was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> it is procreation. Not recreation. <laughs> I can see that on a bumper sticker. I love those lines. You know, and it may have been lifted from one, actually. Great lines. That yeah. is. That's hilarious. You did a few years as well on the Best Damn Sports Show, period. Yes. Which... I, actually, I wasn't... I didn't appear on it, but my voice was on it. I was uh, the uh, one of the staff uh, 
voiceover guys on Best Damn Sports Show. I used to voice all of the parodies and the jokes, and the, they used to do wonderful sketches. Uh, all the guys that I worked with are all gone now. They've all gone to other writing and, and producing gigs, but we used to have, we would make fun of so many athletes and so many stars who would come on that show, we would just satire them and make them crazy. Make them crazy, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, uh, granted, I'm not a, a sports guy by yeah. any stretch, but that seems like the kind of, the sentiment, yes. or sensibility, I should say, of that show seemed uh, like something where, okay, I would dig this if I was more well, if you Well, if you couldn't take the heat, they didn't like to have you on the show because if you did something stupid boy were we going to do a bit about it it was you know we we were kind of the saturday night live of sports shows in that all you had to do was do something say something stupid and you were going to be we were going to do a sketch on it you know (laughs) if you got caught drunk or you got i mean anything we would right you were fair game we were fair game yeah and we and we had great fun with that great fun that was a very cool show and yes. no strain, no pain. I could wear my shorts, and uh, nobody cared what I looked like. Oh, yeah, even not, not on camera stuff. Yeah. That's, that seems yeah. pretty easy to just fun. roll up to a microphone and, yeah. and, great and fun. shorts and sandals. <laughs> yeah. I still work for some of those people uh, over at Fox. They went on to other things. I've just been, this past year, I've been doing uh, promo voices for Glee, and it's the same producer that I worked with on Best Damn Sports Show. Oh, so those, cool. those relationships become important. There again, he just called me one day and said, "You know, you're the guy to do this. So, come on over." You know, so. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, it is perfect. One of the things that I obviously grew up with, when when sitcoms were also very mm-hmm. very prevalent, I feel like they've gone by the wayside a little bit more. No thanks to reality TV, but yep. that's a whole other discussion. You did spots on uh, Steve Harvey, two episodes of Drew Carey show. Yes, yes. those seem to me like they, that would just be. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I've never been to a live. They were sitcom. great. They, they were be, great fun. Like those shows fun. were all done. There's only three or four shows left that shoot in front of a live audience, mm. and I always thought that was fantastic. We always did Married with Children in front of a live audience. We did Drew Carey in front of a live audience. Steve Harvey in front of a live audience, and. And you can really tell when it's working. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. You can that tell when it's working. instant feedback. Yeah, instant feedback. That response that you could just feed off of. And, um, and I, I got the Steve Harvey show because I always was a semi-regular on one of the fir- The only long-lasting live sitcom in the uh, 80s on Fox was a show called Rock with Charles Dutton. Right. And I was his boss on that show. He was a garbage man, and I was Randy, the head of the garbage uh, dump place where they all worked and we god we had great garbage men jamie fox oh, oh man that's right yeah jamie fox was one of our garbage men you look down you go wow had we known yeah. then <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have treated him a lot better if i'd known he was going to be a big <laughs> yeah. star but <laughs> here he is hauling garbage on a yeah, sitcom yeah you know what can he be but uh we had that was a great show and rocky carroll was on it rocky's now on ncis he's Director Vance of the of the <laughs> Navy investigators, and he was Rock's brother. We had a great group of people on that show, See, and that same people that produced that did the Steve Harvey show. So there again, it they just they know you can do it, and if they know you can do it, then you don't have to play the game. Right. That's yeah. a, that seems like so much fun to me, especially because you have people who are hilarious. The whole oh, cast yes. of the Drew yes, Carey show. Yes, it was so all hard of them to were keep great. A, straight face on the Steve Harvey show because I played, that was one of my fun parts. My hair was parted in the middle and I wore a 
god-awful plaid suit. <laughs> and uh, I was a G.I. Joe doll collector. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Cedric the Entertainer, who was Steve's roommate on right. the show, collected G.I. Joe dolls, and he'd fallen into hard times and was going to sell them. And I'm the, the gomer that's coming to buy his dolls. <laughs> and there was a lot of ad-libbing on those shows, too. And we're, and we're on the couch looking at the dolls, and Steve is kind of standing there, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And he goes, I can't believe you guys are playing with dolls. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we're offended. And Cedric and I immediately look up and go, these are not dolls. These are posable action figures. (laughs) (laughs) And And Steve looks at us, and it wasn't a written line at all. He goes, oh, excuse me, Forrest and Bubba. (laughs) (laughs) And the audience just roared. And I just looked at him. I just gave him the stink eye because mm-hmm. what are you going to do? You're waiting out the laugh. You have to wait out the laugh. Of course. And it was one of the funniest parts of the show, and it wasn't <laughs> at all. So I could imagine standing in between those two. Oh, must yeah, have been yeah. Hysterical. And it was everything you can do to keep from laughing sometimes. Very difficult. And Drew Carey's show as well. I mean, yes. Everybody on there was hysterical. And you'd actually... You were telling me that you worked with Ryan Stiles when you were studying improv. Yes, when I was at uh, Second City, uh, Ryan, uh, of course, was one of the, the gurus of, of improv. Still oh, is. Without a doubt. Yeah, he definitely Still is. is, without a doubt. And, um, and it was so much fun being around those guys. Even though the Steve uh, uh, Drew show didn't, didn't deviate off script very much because the good ones don't have to. If it's, oh yeah! If it's well written, there's no reason to screw around with the words. Yeah, it's only that, when they're crap you screw around with the words. <laughs> with that team behind, yeah, them, I imagine yeah, they and, probably went out of the gate pretty strong. Yeah, and it was a great, great fun show to do. In fact, the same director again, same director, Drew Carey was our director on Married with Children, Jerry Cohen. So, so it's just like you you do get to know people mm-hmm. over the years you know and Jerry's still working he's doing uh, Charlie Sheen's new show Anger Management he's the director on that show cool so the guys just keep going from one show to another to another to another yeah. see it seems like behind the camera work would seem the, the work would almost seem more linear because TV's TV well if you have to be good at it oh definitely if you're a good sitcom director or a good drama director you're never going to stop working Mm. You have to be good at you see, it. Oh, yeah. You see a lot of the same names oh, on shows. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely true. Especially shows that don't tape in front of a live audience. Like you said, Paul Feig had done, I know, right. Mad Men. Right. I believe he did yeah. some episodes of The well, Office. Well, it's a conscious choice for some shows not to shoot in front of a live audience. And they probably wouldn't work because subtle humor doesn't work well in front of an audience. They want big laughs. Oh, big yeah. Big laughs, you know. And um, subtle humor. I mean, the first show I did that was a comedy without an audience was Malcolm in the Middle, and that wouldn't have worked. Right? Oh audience. no, definitely you, not. You, you, you got to do some things, uh, what they call single camera or movie style. Even though they call it single camera, trust me, it never is. <laughs> <laughs> Always at least two. All right. So moving along to film wise, your film career. You've done My little film a ton. Career, yes. yeah, well, you know what? You're in the trailer for the Negotiator. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> That's I great. Am if you, if am. you folks, if listeners, you want to pull up the trailer for the Negotiator, the Sam Jackson Kevin Spacey movie. Yes. If you look up the trailer, which is, um, well, it is definitely available on YouTube. Yep. You're the news reporter. I am in the trailer, so you're actually providing. 
Yes. Exposition in the trailer. Exactly what I'm doing, <laughs> explaining what's going on here. And yeah. there's such a narrow field of people actually making it into a trailer who aren't the lead stars. I've been in so many trailers, and people, I remember, I am so featured in a trailer of a very famous movie, and I'm not in the movie. It was the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, which was a wonderful right. job. I enjoyed that so much. And... Um, they were making the trailers for it as we were shooting it. And so I ended up being in the trailer a lot because those were the first scenes shot. Mm-hmm. And I, there were people thinking I was a major player in Liar Liar. But what happened was when they finished shooting and studios demand that certain types of movies be of a certain length, movies of that ilk, flat-out comedies, they like them to be 90 minutes or less. The director's cut great guy Tom Shadyak directed that was like 145 uh. they didn't just lose me they lost a couple of name actors too they just took mm-hmm. it was another trial it was a trial that set up the whole movie where you establish him as the liar right which they just removed the whole entire thing it wasn't a matter uh. of cutting it just and I and the director called me at home and he said I it's it's in the uh, DVD yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I'm going to have to go fish out my yeah, DVD it's in the and DVD, check out it's in, the Well, it's in scenes. the director's cut DVD, so not in every DVD. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, okay. so sometimes they have different versions. It's If you have the one that's the director's cut or with the famous, it's, they call it the famous deleted scene in the Easter egg part of your DVD. Right. The famous, uh, the famous deleted scene. So I'm still there, technically. And uh, but when the movie came out, they and the director called me at home and said, "Man, we got to lose that scene. It's killing me. It's kill-. He didn't want to lose it at all. Right? Did not want to lose it because he felt it was critical. But Universal, in their wisdom, said, "No, it's got to be ninety minutes. It can't be eight. You know." A hundred minutes. Right. It's got to be 90 minutes. <laughs> I mean, to the credit, the movie did great. Well, and, and, and there was a reason why they did that, which doesn't apply anymore. Back then. That means you could show it one more time a day in the theaters. Oh, okay. That many more that does seats. Make sense. Yeah. There was a philosophy that was very dominant then, which has disappeared because nobody goes to the theater anymore. Well, well <laughs> yeah. that's true. So they don't care how long it is now. But in those days, if they could show it one more time, it would inflate the, the gross and the attendance. Right. That's interesting. And it was done for a very specific reason. Okay. Very that does kind of make sense. Reason. In a case like that, because obviously the, the scenes end up on the DVD, yeah. but you don't, you're not featured, let's say, when it airs on TV. No. You're featured in the theatrical no. version. No. So do you get any checks from that because very it's on little. the DVD? Is very it? little. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was curious. But it was a great works. experience. I really enjoyed working on that movie. We, we laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And that's oh, I'm sure. the best part of the job. You can kind of tell when you're watching movies. Yeah. And same things with sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. You, you can kind of get a feel for whether or not people are comfortable yeah. or they're enjoying themselves or when you see... A movie when you when a movie has finally been released that you heard oh there was tension and these people aren't getting along you, and all you that can see you it. can sense you it can, yeah, yeah it definitely really comes out it comes it. across. Yeah. I've but, only had a couple of bad incidents. Most of the time it's great fun. You've worked with some amazing directors. I mean, it's obviously high profile directors. You were in Space Cowboys, which yeah, is a Clint, Clint Eastwood, Eastwood movie. Yeah, you were in a Coen Brothers movie. I was a Man Coen, who wasn't there. Man who wasn't there. I worked with Barry Levinson. Yeah, Levinson. Barry Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld. Yeah, that, that, that was, was a. I just that was. I saw myself the other day on that by pure accident on Adam's Family Values. I love that. I'm movie. Joan Cusack's lawyer. 
<laughs> I remember. Actually, you know what? I pulled that up on Netflix in the, in last the, in night. In the beginning of the movie. It, yeah. It's a pa- kind of a passing shot where she's it walking is, out and of the It is, and they use it as part of the Regis and Kathy Lee thing, and it's it's just a, it's, it's a re- weird thing, but I, I again, it was such an enjoyable thing, and Joan Cusack's a nut job, which... <laughs> Which is great fun. You oh, know. sure. And, uh, and a movie like that that's really as, as very silly anyway. Oh, yeah. And, and Barry Sonnenfeld, is in, who started with the Coen brothers, shot, right. he shot just... all of their first movies and then went off to direct himself. And uh, they wagged the dog with Barry Levinson. I've, yeah, I've, that's I've, a great movie. Great directors. And I'm very, very happy that that happened. You know? Yeah, so even if there's a smaller... Let's say your your film career is smaller. Oh yeah, you still got to work with a lot of cool. People. I did. I, it's, it's actually terrific. And uh, F. Gary Gray, who did the negotiator, yeah, and he was in his twenties when he yeah, did that movie and, too. He had a streak uh, there yeah. in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's you know, it's all there. Yeah, and, and theoretically, pays me and my <laughs> heirs for a long time to come. So right, and it does. Oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure, especially with everything going. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Space Cowboys is on. It was in and out of my Netflix. Space too, Cowboys has up. been very financially good. That gets a lot of TV play. Lots I always of TV see that, and lots of DVD rentals. You get all, you get paid for all of that, so it's good. You know, it's good. Right. And the sale when people buy the season one and season two of something, you get that. And because there were so many Heroes episodes, when I get a Heroes check these days, it's good because it's eight times what it would have been. Because yeah, of, because, because you ended, ended up, up getting in, the footage got used. And, uh, yeah. and that's indicated right now, too. I think that's playing yeah, on it is. And one I of the did, cable networks. About years ago, I did a whole bunch of, uh, in my priest character, a murder she wrote with Angela Lansbury. So those are still, uh, they're still out there. They're still, they are, yeah. They're still running, you know, and... Sometimes there I am in my priest garb, you know, uh, <laughs> usually, can, as Angela used to put it, if there's a Marion or a Barian, he's coming on the show this week. <laughs> and usually there was always a Barian, so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the murder she wrote. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's a great lady, Angela. Great, great lady. You told me a great story, actually, uh, on the way here about... Working on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yes, would you be kind enough to tell us about that? Because well, yeah, to me that was a great thrill, and what I loved about that show, this was um, it had already was a solid hit, so it wasn't you know, and I felt so fortunate to get a what was considered a major role, what they call a guest star, with a single billing, which means your name is all by itself when it pops up on the screen. You're not right. You're not among a list. Yeah, it's called single card. As we actors know, we want us a single card credit rather than a shared card with all those other losers. No, I want it by myself. And um, what I found about that show was very professional, but boy, they like to have a good time. I mean, they were very serious about their work, but there was a lot of nonsense going on on that show. (laughs) But, But we were talking about how professional... Patrick Stewart, I love this man. I was doing a scene with him, and I was in alien garb, and it was very hot. Very, very hot. And um, it came time to do my close-ups where they shoot, and I'm looking at him in the scenes, and so Patrick would be on the other side talking to me out of the shot. And he said, 
do you mind if I dreaded spacesuit? It's so hot. <laughs> I, I said, but he was such a professional where he would say, if you really need me to keep it on, I will keep it on. If I needed that to concentrate, you don't need him in a space suit. All you got to do is look at that face and you've, of course. you've got Jean-Luc Picard. You don't, need a, <laughs> you don't need a red tunic to make that work. Yeah, exactly. And so he did it in shorts and a black t-shirt when I was in my dreaded space suit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was great fun. We had a lot of laughs on that show. That that uh, uh, that was one where you know Counselor Troy Marina Sirtis could read minds and strange things, and she had some strange transition going on where she was getting all kind of sexy, and she was wearing see-through dresses and doing things. And we were doing a scene in the bar on the Enterprise, the uh, Ten Forward, where Whoopi Goldberg was the bartender, right. And uh, I'm sitting at a table with Jonathan Frakes, <laughs> number one, and, and I can't remember who else, a couple other people, and me, and, and Marina comes up in a dress like Cher used to wear that you could kind of see through, but you didn't know whether you were really seeing through it or not. And mm-hmm. she leans over the table to look me right in the face, and she goes, I know what you're thinking. It had to do with the, the plot of the story, right? Uh-huh. But what I loved about those guys was they, know, they always know how long they can beat before there's going to be an edit. I know what you're thinking. Beat, beat, and Jonathan Freese goes, oh, we know what he's thinking, all right. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's literally got her boobs shoved up in my face. Right. You know? <laughs> and we laughed. It was just it was hysterical, you know. Oh, that's and hilarious. Brent Spiner, who was Mr. <laughs> Data, sitting at the bar, and mm-hmm. they, even though he didn't have to drink, he did because he was a android right he drank to be sociable and he was drinking this yellow stuff with fizz coming out of it and and he looks up at the bartender at one point and he goes i'll have another cup of urine please <laughs> <laughs> but he would just say it in that perfect mr data right thing, it's you know? the delivery I mean, yeah they, they tone. were they were such fun i mean we laughed and laughed and laughed and but when it's time to do it, you do it, and then you laugh and you laugh and you laugh. And right. I, that's those are the great shows, you know, when mm-hmm. you really enjoy going to work and you don't want it to end. Yeah, and it, it seems like you have because you have a group like that too, yes. which is basically well, probably now more than then, regarded yeah. as an ensemble. Because what do they call it? In, in the jargon, they're called gang shows. Yeah, gang and, shows, and, and especially it's sitcom great. jargon or gang show. Cheers was a gang show. Friends mm-hmm. is a g- gang show. Big Bang Theory is a gang show where you've got seven or eight major characters rather than one. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think if everybody has that, if you actually have that rapport, yeah. same thing. It comes across it does. where you can it tell does like, come across, and then yeah. ultimately, show. I mean, even like the shows you just named. That's yeah. why I believe they they last. They do because mm-hmm. you have. People who get along and they enjoy doing it, it, it and they get the work done besides. And come on, how hard can it be? Are you kidding me? You know, mm. when I see sitcom actors telling people how hard it is, I just die. Because none of them, an average sitcom worker's week might be 25 hours maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like Monday to the Friday The only job. busy day is the shoot day. Usually you go in for a table read on Monday about 10 o'clock, you're home by 1 and then the next day, mm. you put it on its feet, and you run through it a couple of times. I mean, please, no sitcom actor goes to work before 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. None of them. And I'm going, <laughs> what are you complaining about? And it's like, isn't it something And you're like home th- by 3 or 4 in the afternoon, except if, if you have an audience show, that's a long day. 
when, right. you're, when you're doing an audience show. Compared that, to other days, without a long yeah, day compared to one, most shows. That's one day, you know, and the rest of the time, it's, it's, you're living the life of Riley. You don't have to clean up on rehearsal days. You can come looking like the cat drug, drug you in, mm-hmm. and many times they did. They well. Yeah, many times <laughs> they did. And, 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 uh, and, but I, drama show actors, I can understand. They have tremendous amount of uh, time and effort they have to put in. Yeah, well, those, yeah, those yes. are 12-hour, 14-hour but, but, days. Um, but in sitcoms- Star Trek, we had 12-hour days. Some days, because they were very intricate scenes to shoot. But sitcom actors, please, please try to tell me how hard work it is. You've got to be kidding me. Don't most shows have off every fourth week or something like that? Don't they only do three on, one off? They kind of decide. Some do, some don't. Some like to barrel through. Just barrel through and get Mm -hmm. them done. Let's just shoot all 22 22 right now, and and we're done. Back to the beach And we'll get a long, long uh, hiatus. But Mm -hmm. uh, it depends. That's no set formula for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, still to work, even if you're doing 22 oh. weeks straight out of the year, that's... You still only work 22 nothing. weeks out of the year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> 20 true. hours a week. That's right. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. That's so mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, it is. So, it, mm-hmm. it, it is weird when you... Now, the writers work hard on sitcoms. They work, oh, definitely. They work 24 hours a day, but the actors <laughs> don't. No. The actors don't. No. 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 All right, so dialing back to movies for a second. Yep. I watched a movie you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is called Guns, Girls, and Gambling. Oh, yes. Where yes. All, all you told me about it was Gary Oldman plays an Elvis impersonator, and I said, I'm in. You're and in, sure yes. enough, about a week or so after you mentioned it to me, it popped up on Netflix, and I watched it. And it's a perfect kind of late-night movie. You don't need to think too hard about it. Yes, yes. And I happen to, because it was on Netflix, I tend to, just so it, it doesn't, pop up and they continue watching space and all that i'll usually just fast forward to the end and i can tell when there's a, a couple of frames left and i happen to stop on the screen in the special thanks and your name was in the special thanks yes it is how did that come about um well i know most of the guys that made that movie and when there's an area of films that people may not know about the guy who edited it was my b- best friend since college he edits big movies he did the die hard movies and, and lots of things he's a he's an a-list editor and when you're you're doing your sound mix, when you, what they call lock the reels. They're getting technical now on, on the editing and the thing. Especially if there's narrations or musings of some sort. The actual actor, they don't have that information. And they're not, they don't have them yet. Mm-hmm. Because cause if somebody's coming in to add something, they're not going to do it till the movie's locked at the very, very end. But they like to screen for the producers and for the staff semi-finished versions. I've been the voices of some of the biggest stars in the world in the rough cut. Oh, really? Yes. Um, um, When they did, uh, I think the first one I did for them, it's the same production team usually, Rob Lowe did a remake of Salem's Lot. About I remember 10 that. years ago. Yes, I remember and he, that. And you hear him talk all the way through it. He'll say it was a dark day or something when I arrived in Salem. You know, mm-hmm. th- it's going on while it's getting established. And right, he's, like he's that. kind of setting up a narrative. Yeah. Well, he, they didn't have that. Oh. And they weren't going to get Rob Lowe to do it until the very end. So I did it. I did it, and it for like 10 versions of the movie, it's me. I and uh, I did one recently like that, and I did that on. Uh, in fact, uh, my voice does still appear in in that 
guns, girls, and gambling. And then gambling, well. yeah. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. Okay. But, <laughs> but yeah, because Christian Slater does narrate the movie, so yeah, okay, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. So, but I am still it's somewhat in it, too. Okay. And um, um, and so you, you go in and you do these. I did Kelsey Grammer in the TV movie Benedict Arnold. I did... Because they, they, they want to have it for flow and pacing. And then what happens is, to their dismay, Kelsey Grammer has to come in and match it to my pace. <laughs> because it's cut, it's cut to the pace of... Right, of, of your performance. Of my performance. So they need to come in and match his. it. Not his, yeah. And so I'm, I'm putting a burden on these guys to come in and match, uh, and match that. But that's done more than you would ever know, you know. And it's, it's one of those things where they toss you a little money and you're in a booth for a couple hours it's fun usually you know mm-hmm. and you're trying to get the feeling of it and and the way it you know it's being said and and that sort of thing and um yeah i, I fell into a actually a great paying job for a movie that nobody's ever seen called down with love with renee zellweger and ian mcgregor i do remember big that. budget movie it's when i was doing best damn sports show and uh, one day we're recording tracks over at Fox, and this guy comes in. He goes, you're the voice guy for the thing. And I go, yeah. He goes, do you think you could do, could you sound like those guys that used to narrate the educational films in the 60s, those, those big, you know, like, and here's Susie learning how to cook in the kitchen with mom. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think I could do that. He says, well, when you're done here, come down to building uh, seven or whatever it was. And I went down there, and they were in the edit bay with this movie, and it was all locked, but they needed this big opening thing of the guy talking like this. And the director was, I can't remember his name, I feel embarrassed because he had a big hit with the cheerleader one, Bring It On, and a couple, right, yeah, a couple yeah, other. He's right. a There's very a young guy. Of, very young on guy, on yeah. And he did one of them superhero comic book movies, too. But. But they're all sitting there, and, and, and I was just, it, usually you go into a sound booth, but I'm literally standing behind the editor at the Avid machine, and they hand me this piece of paper, and he plays me the um, video. It's the opening of, of it's, and it's, it's like, you know, New York, 1962. I mean, it was this ridiculous, <laughs> over-the-top performance, right. you know. And it's a wonderful day in Manhattan, and ba 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 and it's explaining things, and it's cutting through the clouds, and you're seeing New York of that era. And then, and I said, and we, we stole a line from an old show called Naked City, where I go, there are eight million stories in New York. <laughs> and then Renee Zellweger comes, comes through this door, and I go, make that eight million and one. And it swoops <laughs> in on this big thing, and the movie begins. And I did this standing behind the editor, and the director goes, God, that was fantastic. <laughs> Did you get that? And he goes, yeah. He goes, okay. And I said, okay, you want to go in and do it? He says, man, you just did it. <laughs> That's it? I so- mean, it was like a two-minute job, you know. Right. And I signed a contract, and I got paid. And it's still, and somebody must be watching it on rental or DVD. I, yeah, because I, I still get on money now. from this horrible movie. <laughs> Down with love that I don't think it, they were trying to copy the old Doris Day Rock Hudson movies of the '60s. Yeah, real yeah. bright colors, and in fact, they they didn't have who was their foil, Tony Randall, and the old ones, and it was. It was Sean Hayes or somebody in this one of new new type of foil. 
I can't remember who starred in Down With Love, but I mean, that was one of those things that just fell out of the sky and took a few minutes of my right. time and still generates an incredible amount of revenue. And you, you, it, it's amazing. Well, and I don't even know if those things are on IMDb. I have no idea. Well, for, me, for, a, for me, though, I'm, I don't know. If it, well, you're listed as a narrator, yeah. Oh, am I? I d- okay. Yeah, I just pulled it up like any, like any good show. A lot oh, yeah, of I, I honestly didn't know if it was on there. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, Peyton Reed was the director. That's the guy. And, yeah, and who's, who's let's see, he's directing uh, New Girl. He's, he's still doing it. Directed Yes Man, another Jim Carrey movie. Yes, uh-huh. Uh, the Breakup. Yeah. Vince Vaughn. I think Aniston his first movie. one was Bring It On, I think. It's made him popular, made him famous. Or one of them cheerleader movies. Yeah, and he did do, yeah, the first Bring It On. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, yeah in Claire 2000. Kramer and, yeah, everybody, yeah. Another girl from my hometown, by the way. Who's that? Claire Kramer, who starred in Bring It On, was my little town in Ohio. We, she comes from there. Too. Oh, that's a hotbed. See, people it need to go over there, bed. I guess, and mm-hmm. start digging up. Uh, <laughs> Great sitcom writer and producer Dave Hackle comes from that town. The actress Wendy Malick. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of so many people. That little dinky town in Ohio, <laughs> we had a lot of people come out of there. Maybe know. it's a situation where everybody just wanted to get away from that I think pocket so. and said, I'll I think do anything. So. I'm I'll, good I'll, show I'll, business. Yeah, let me out of here. It's a better option. I'll join the circus and clean up after the elements. Yeah. The elements? The elephants. That's even better. And the elements as well. Both. Yeah. And the elements. They were a 50s singing group, I think. I'm not sure. Yes. <laughs> Okay, I've lost my mind officially. That's, it. Oh, that's okay. fine. There's, okay. This is this is structureless. Yes. So okay. feel, feel free to just ride the wave of, of, of whatever pops in your head. <laughs> of, as far as, because you've worked with such a variety of people as, as we've just gone over the whole list yes. of TV shows, movies, and an endless amount of TV, who was great to work with? Is there anybody who was... The majority was, of people were actually quite good. I, I, even though he's crazy, I love Jim Carrey. Again, another consummate professional. Mm-hmm. And and he's not afraid of letting you be funny, too. See, so many funny guys don't want other people to be funny. I they they want themselves yeah. to be funny. He didn't care because he understood that if they're laughing, it doesn't matter if they're laughing at him, laughing at me, or anybody else that's in those movies. Bob Newhart was that way on the old Bob Newhart uh, sitcom, which also had a live audience. God, I've forgotten that one almost. And, and he didn't care if other people were funny. Because some comedians can't stand when somebody else gets a bigger laugh than they do. Mm-hmm. They can't stand it. Uh, the true professionals don't care. Because if the show is funny, what difference does it make who's getting the laugh? The audience right. doesn't remember who got the laugh. Only the self-centered comedian uh, yeah, remembers. Yeah, the person looking the for the the, yeah, the underlying insecurity about comedians yeah. that you hear about. Uh, most of the time, shows were were great fun. Some were just nothing special that you went to work. You know, like on L.A. Law, they're just procedurals, and you have a trial, and you do the thing. No bad people, no good people. I mean, just it's just a job. It's just like any job in the world when you're testifying in the box and stuff like that. Right. Um, most dramas have a tendency to be, I don't know, I don't want to say not fun, but just very matter-of-fact and like doing a regular job. Mm-hmm. But uh, comedies have always been pretty much mostly fun uh, because, I mean, how could you be involved in a comedic business and not try to have a good time? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah I mean, Even you, though I've heard some horror stories. Yeah, I, you hear about I, it's your show of shows and yeah, the I've never, dangling I've Mel never Brooks personally and all that. had that at all. I, I've always found them to be 
great fun, um, the comedy. So I don't know, you know. I've only had two instances where I thought I, somebody was totally out of line, but they're so minor that it really isn't even important, you mm-hmm. know. And and guess what? That person isn't working and probably never will again. So they got <laughs> they got their they got it what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, it does. I mean, when, yeah. I believe when you when you get to a certain level, and mm-hmm. there are probably few who get there as, as far as fame. I mean, a listers who yeah. who who really. Gets to be an A-lister and stays there for a long time. Probably yes. Will Smith and Tom Cruise are the only ones I can think of who yes, yes, uh-huh. do do a certain level. I yes. mean, Brad Pitt can dip into smaller movies and all yes, that here yes, and there yes, yes, and yes, still uh-huh. do the big headline, the big movies. But yep. uh, there, there are very few who can get there yeah. and actually stay there. But I feel like anyone else, if you just genuinely have a crappy attitude, oh, yeah. people aren't going to want to work with you. No, not at all. Just, just like in any other job. And yeah. especially in, in something like television or film yep. where there are so many people who do want to get in and probably people are equally as qualified at a, yes. at a certain level yep. or, or capable. Well, of they used it. to take a lot more crap from stars. I don't think they're doing it much anymore. You know, I really think they, they, they now they don't take as much crap from people as they did. I can see that the, the pool's larger. Cause they don't now. have to. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to. Yeah. Oh, you don't like it here. Okay. There's the door. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I worked many shows for the great Aaron Spelling, and he was always that way. Man, oh man, you know. One thing an actor didn't do was mouth off or give crap to Aaron Spelling. It just, oh, yeah. it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was that era where No matter how famous to... you were, they, the door was always right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. Yeah. Not, not that you want people to be afraid of it, but it's like, look, just behave yourself. That's well, it. Well, some people have learned. I've known a couple actors personally who got thought their uh, their crap didn't stink and mm-hmm. walked off the shows only to come crawling back on their hands and knees when they realized they weren't coming after them. Mm. You know, uh, because they, the show's only popular because of me. Well, okay then. No, well, let's, find <laughs> let's find out. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> they're, they're, they're not calling? Nobody called? No, nobody called. You know, uh... <laughs> There are uh, two stories that my sister, who, who we met through, you, you two were in the same yes. uh, social circle, that she wanted me to ask you about. Uh, one, and she just get, basically gave me keywords, so I don't know what these involve. I may not even know what they mean, but I'll okay, try. Okay, she, she says that these will be enough. Uh, first one is a story about Janis Joplin. Oh, yes, actually. Well, in my uh, rock and roll radio days, I... Had a wild and crazy side, as many people did back then. And mm-hmm. this was at the Earl Warren Showgrounds in Santa Barbara, California. And anybody outside of Santa Barbara has no idea what that is, but it's a where they did big rock shows and arenas and you know, like a fairgrounds okay. kind of place. Okay. The Earl Warren Showgrounds. And it was when Janice was still with her first band, which was Big Brother and the Holding Company. And uh, Janice was very well known for liking to drink a whole lot mm-hmm. and was a uh, a tough chick. There's just no way to put anything without just saying how tough she was. And I don't know how to say this without being a delicate, not a very good-looking woman. <laughs> uh, in fact, she reminded me of my cousin Joe. <laughs> but... Um, Anyway, she drank a lot, and I was b- backstage at the Earl Warren Showgrounds one night, and Janice was 
and I were drinking Southern Comfort. I couldn't drink that stuff today if my life depended on it. <laughs> it came up just as good as it went down, though. It had a taste. It was very right. nice. <laughs> and she was getting a little frisky. And uh, she put her arm around me at one point, and she goes, Hey, where can a girl go to get her horn honked around here? <laughs> <laughs> and and I went, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, I, there wasn't enough. I look back on it and think, should I have, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't. Right. I, well, I, I, yeah. I, I wasn't that drunk, you know, but <laughs> I kind of should have just so I could brag. That's but, of course. Yeah. 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 Especially now. And now with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you knew what was to become of the Absolutely. legend of Janis Joplin, yeah, you could yeah, say, well, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, that's good. The, yeah. the, uh, the other one she told me to ask you about was Jesus Christ Superstar at the Gibson Amphitheater. Oh, yes. Well, the Gibson Amphitheater used to be an open air. Yes. It did not have a roof on it. It was, wasn't called that then. It was the Universal Amphitheater. And it wasn't necessarily built to do rock concerts, which it became famous for. When it first opened, it was an outdoor I guess it held a couple thousand people. It was pretty big, but it was outdoor. It was a true hillside amphitheater outside. And uh, the first thing in there was the uh, touring company of Jesus Christ Superstar uh, with the original cast, Teddy Neely. I mean, all the great people who became famous for that show Mm -hmm. uh, were at the Universal Amphitheater. And I lived just down the hill from there. And I remember when the show first opened, I'd be sitting in my backyard in the early evening hours and maybe enjoying a cocktail or something, and out of the sky would come, Jesus Christ, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, whoa. Whoa. You know, I mean, like the the heavens were singing, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm thinking, Oh, man, you know. Yeah, this omnidirectional kind of yeah, I'm thinking, choral music. My backyard is the second coming is the backyard, my backyard. <laughs> Jesus is back. He's coming to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, and he's coming well, to Hollywood. Well, where else would you go these yeah, days? Yeah, come on. And uh, until you realize that it happened every night about the same time. <laughs> and so finally I had to go to see this thing, and I finally realized what it was I was hearing. And everybody else... In that neighborhood, could that's why they put a roof on it. Oh, really? Because every night, people, anybody that lived within two miles of the Universal Amphitheater could hear it. And when they graduated to the rock bands and stuff, holy right. mackerel! Oh, you know, yeah, that must have traveled. Uh, it was, uh, and so they finally had to put a roof on it because people were so outraged with the noise that was coming out of there. Oh, and when man. they put the roof on it, they could use it all year, which they couldn't do the outdoor one. Uh, right, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But well, the, that's where they recorded the first Blues Brothers album. Really? That outdoor amphitheater where, you know, Dan Acro said, here it is, 1977. Right. And then, you know, at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles, you know, blah, 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 yeah, and, yeah, you're right. And, uh, is... you know, and I've held with Jake and Joliet, uh, whatever he said, Blues. Elwood uh, Blues, thing. and yeah, yeah Joliet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I worked on that movie too, even though it's not credited. I really I worked on the Blues Brothers. That was really fun. Oh, I still mayhem have. I still have movie. one of John Belushi's actual hats, Blues Brothers hats, in my closet. Really? He tossed it at me one night as oh. take home with me because they had a hundred of them. You know? Mm. Oh, and, they uh, must have. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what'd you do on that? 
Since it's not credited, we might as well get the record straight. Maybe someone from IMDb will. Well, no, no, it's correct. It. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't be credited because oh, okay. I'm not in the movie. I was still very involved in the music and radio business in those days, and they wanted to put together a custom audience for the Blues Brothers concert sequences for the movie. They shot it at the old Hollywood Palladium in Hollywood, even though it was supposed to be Chicago in the movie. It was the Hollywood Palladium. Mm -hmm. And uh, they wanted a custom audience. And so they came to me and a couple other people at the radio station, and we made our listeners the audience for the Blues Brothers concerts. And uh, I was kind of their wrangler. And between, between shots, I had to get up and do bad jokes and stories <laughs> because they get you know, there's a lot of downtime on movies and stuff right. and um and bad jokes and uh <laughs> in fact i got a real big laugh one night uh the band people don't remember the band leader of the blues brothers band he's been totally forgotten was paul schaefer right he right. he created that band and basically that act even though he's long forgotten in those days in, in the in the context of yeah, it, yeah. And, but I only was, know that from the DVD. It was the, the, documentary. Best, the best pickup band there ever was. Without a shadow of a doubt was the Blues Brothers. Right. Those were the greatest musicians money could buy. Yeah, that was Leaving a, Dan and John out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that was an incredible... Any musician alive would want that band to play oh, behind definitely. them. And uh, we were doing some kind of break, and so I'm getting up, talking to the audience, trying to keep them entertained, and I... I said, you look around here and look at this great band. There's Duck Dunn and Steve Cropper and Paul Schaefer, and I'm going around pointing people out. And I mm -hmm. said, uh, there's, there's six of them up here. And what you don't understand is when we started making this movie, there were 12 of them, and we were coming back from Chicago, and we hit the California fruit inspection and lost half the guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually gave me a rim shot, the drummer. Right, you know, right. I mean, and we, I'm, we had so much fun on that movie, just laughing and laughing and laughing, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was great. It was just great fun, you know. That would have been a good place to tell the Jazz Joplin story. Actually, yeah, yeah actually would have been. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ever tell you? Here's something I can't tell you on the radio. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And the station has credit in the movie, oh, okay. but not me personally. It. At the end, it says many thanks to that thing in the thing. To the staff of yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. That was basically me. <laughs> <laughs> that was you emceeing for the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers, yeah. And it was great, uh, great fun. I was at that recording session that night they did the album at the Universal Amphitheater. Oh, man. Yeah. So you see, you started out sitting on a stoop chatting with Elvis. Yeah. You got to, yeah. <laughs> I've been very <laughs> fortunate. Blues Brothers record, definitely. Very, very fortunate in my and life. And at the same time, you still have a. I would say reasonable degree of anonymity in oh, as much yeah. as uh, I don't think you'd be stopped on the street as much as say Channing Tatum well, would. Well, actually when, when what happens with a guy like me and there's a million of us and there's a, I think there's a documentary being made about called that guy, that guy. I think it's because there's a bunch I, of actors. So they right. say, you know, that guy, that, that yeah. guy. <laughs> and it's but all these people that everybody kind of knows, but they don't know why. Right. And what they usually think is that you went to high school with them. Like you'll oh, be right. in a supermarket. Did we go to? Did we go to high school together? Mm -hmm. Did you used to live in my building? Did you know? Uh, they, <laughs> they, but they don't know why they know you, but they do. Right? There's a familiarity. Yeah, they just can't put their finger on. Exactly. Uh huh. 
Yeah, and that that happens a lot. But they they I always just go, gee, I don't know, I don't think so, you know. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it happens a lot where people think they know you, but they have no idea why. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. All right, Rick. Thank you very much for coming by. I appreciate your time certainly, and, and sharing the stories and all the other good and, nature. Uh, when will the check be in the mail? It, 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 it's in the mail. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, okay. it'll it'll happen. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. not down with love money. I don't do these for free, you know. Oh, I know it. Okay. M- believe me. All right. It's, you got it, With that Taco Bell money coming in, forget it. There's, hey, no, hey. Yeah, there's no reason to jump on someone's free podcast. Those are good. Podcast. Those Taco Bell things are good. Uh, oh, you're damn right they are. Yes. They- <laughs> Until they don't hire me anymore, then the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're in a Del Taco <laughs> ad all of a sudden, playing the surly drive through guy. There you go. <laughs> All right, Rick, thank you again for coming by. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. Folks, thanks for listening, and please subscribe on iTunes. Give five stars, write a little review, and as always, check out myself and my cohorts on The Only Podcast That Matters. So until next time, for Rick's Gary, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. <laughs>